0: In in James this morning, in James chapter 4, you recall, um, as we were reading and as we were studying, um, when he calls the the people adulterous, uh, he he says, you are an adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world uh, is hatred towards God? And I thought we would go into that some more, into some more detail tonight, especially um, because we are so influenced by the, this world and the things of this world. And it is so, um, oh, we have divided loyalties in a sense. It's uh, difficult to know how we are supposed to be the best citizens of this world as we can be, and, and we are, um, but to really understand that our true citizenship is elsewhere. We live in two kingdoms, if you will. And so uh, this evening, I want us to uh, look in the book of Daniel. And uh, we'll begin in the first chapter here. That's an example of somebody who served in two kingdoms honorably. And Daniel really is a book that... Uh, Shows this quite clearly, maybe more than anywhere else in Scripture, where you see these two kingdoms. It starts off um, right in the very first verse and goes on throughout the book talking about these two kingdoms. But I want us to, uh, to see it here from Daniel, at the beginning in chapter 1. In, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, excuse me, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the king of Babylon uh, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord d- delivered Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Uh, these he carried off uh, to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the, treasury, in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered uh, Ashpenaz, uh, chief of his court officials to bring, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family, and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Uh, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned Them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some of Judah, uh, or some from uh, Judah, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Meshiel, and Azariah. The chief uh, official gave them new names to Daniel. He named him Belshazzar. Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, uh, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. <clears throat> now, God has caused, had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid, my lord, the king uh, who has assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel then said uh, to the guard, whom the uh, chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, uh, Please uh, test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with with what you see. So he agreed to this and and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. These four four young men of God uh, gave knowledge and these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel uh, could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time, set by the king uh, to bring them in, the the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Then Daniel talked with them. Uh, excuse me, the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Ananias, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remains there until the first year of King Cyrus. See right off the bat, the uh, two kingdoms here is an interesting thing. You, you see it in the very first verse here where uh, uh, Jehoiakim is the king of Judah. He's in Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And he comes and puts uh, Jerusalem under siege. They've pretty much taken all of the rest of uh, Judah. And about uh, uh, Jerusalem's kind of like the last holdout, and these people are thinking, "Here we are in Jerusalem. Uh, we're safe here. The temple of God is here. If the temple of God is here, that's His dwelling place. There's no way in the world they can they can defeat us. We're a fortified city. It's a uh, we're okay. God's going to take care of us." Well, they lay siege on it, and it is not too long until we see what happens here, and. Uh, The second verse here. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles of the temple of God. It's, uh, who's doing is it? Well, it's the Lord's doing, isn't it? And we look at it and go, that doesn't make sense. Here we have... Uh, Jerusalem, which is where the temple is, which is where uh, the presence of God is. It's the royal city. It's the, it's the, the city of Lords, the city where people are come to worship the true, one true and living God. Uh, how can this happen? Um, these two cities represent two kingdoms. Um, and first of all, Let's, let's look at the, the, the kingdom of Babylon. The first place we actually see this uh, city is way back in uh, Genesis chapter 11. You may recall what's going on in Genesis chapter 11. Anyone want to guess? Babel. Babel, yes. And what's going on in Babel? Yeah, they want to build a city right there to the heavens. And what's part of their reasoning behind doing this? Thought they could be as high as God. Well, yeah, they, they did. They thought they could be as high as God. But there's something else, especially within the creation mandate. When God creates men, what's part of the creation mandate? Scatter. Be fruitful and, and fill the whole earth, right? And they say, well, <clears throat> no, we don't need to do that. We'll just stay right here and we'll build ourselves. Uh, a tower up in, into heaven. And then we see in, uh, in their reasoning here in uh, Genesis 11, uh, verse 4. Somebody want to read that for us? Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. <laughs> okay. So we're going to make a name for ourselves, right? We don't have to follow the rule that God has given us. We don't have to be dispersed over all the earth. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to be a rule to ourselves. We're going to be the kingdom of man, right? Not the kingdom of God. And so we kind of see Babel here uh, later with, uh, becoming Babylon. And it's representing the kingdom of man as opposed to the kingdom of God. The kingdom where man rules and the kingdom where God's rules. Are, are ignored, disobeyed. Um, and it's where man is throwing off what he might consider to be the shackles that God has put on him because of these laws. And you see it becoming the kingdom of, of man. Well, this, um, it continues on this way throughout Scripture because you see, where do we see Babylon again in Scripture? After Daniel. Revelation. Book of Revelation, right? And what do we see about the kingdom of uh, Babylon in Revelation? Look at Revelation chapter 18. <clears throat> we, we actually see uh, Babylon introduced in Revelation in, in chapter 17 as a, uh, uh, look at verse 5 here. Uh, the title was written on her forehead of, of this uh, uh, harlot, and it says, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Mother of Prostitutes, and of the Abomination of the Earth. Um, and so we, we see her, she is uh, become representative Babylon is representative of the kingdom of man especially in opposition to the kingdom of God and um, ultimately we see what happens with uh, the kingdom of man um, all the kings of the earth committing adultery with her and verse 9 here uh, revelation 18 verse 9 and in uh, <clears throat> When all the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified of her ter- torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O oh great city, O oh Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. Hmm. Here's a the city of man, the kingdom of man, especially in opposition to the kingdom of God. And it was a great city, a great city of great power. Um, where, if in this world, if you wanted anything, you read in the first part here of of chapter eighteen about um, all the all the great things that, that she has and is offered and. Uh, all the merchandise and her riches and luxuries and everything that people would look at and these were the kinds of things that we would we would desire and think that it's been given but it will be defeated in uh, basically one hour as we read here. Now, um, Jerusalem, um, back in uh, Daniel, back to Daniel chapter one, if. Babylon represents the kingdom of man or the city of man, what would Jerusalem be representative of? The kingdom of God. kingdom of God, right. Jerusalem will be representative of the kingdom of God. It's the city of God and in the, in the, in the kingdom of God. And so we see this here that it looks like, the first few verses here of Daniel, it looks like the, the kingdom of man is winning out. What... What happens, not only do they besiege it, um, and then they defeat it when Jehoiakim is given over into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, but what else happens in, in verse 2 here, Daniel 1? Yeah, so, so the house of God. Uh, the temple in Jerusalem, they're taking some of their uh, some of the articles of the temple. And what do they do with them? Put them in the house of their God. Put them in the house of their God. Is that just where they think that the Ark of the Covenant uh, disappeared? The I'm not sure. It could, could very well be. <coughs> think. seems like that might be the case. Because I don't recall it being around after that. I know it would have been around. That's why it's a lot of speculation that it's under the temple now. Okay. <laughs> that it might have been hidden under there? You know, there's a theory of some old Jewish writings that a number of young priests went into a secret compartment there in Jerusalem, put it in there, and then sealed the whole thing and okay. those guys in it. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, it sounds like that could very well be, but the whole idea of the, the carting off of the uh, instruments from the uh, from Jerusalem and taking them to Babylon there would we, be suggesting that the king of Babylon was more powerful right you might see that and, 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 and think that way. well, not only did they cart off that they they cart off uh, you know these young men, Daniel. Uh, Uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and uh, uh, Mishael. And um, they're they're carted off as well. Now it's interesting that when they get there, you know, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah's talking about this is going to happen, and he says, you know, when you get there, buy houses. (laughs) You know, go ahead and get prepared to stay for a while, because you're going to. Come Uh, Huh? You aren't coming back soon. Yeah, you're not coming back (laughs) soon. He does say that it's going to be 70 years in in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's reading through (laughs) Jeremiah and he sees that and picks it up. So anyway, um, so they're going there and actually in obedience to Jeremiah when he's telling him to do this, you are to get involved in the land there. You see interesting things in here when uh, Daniel... Um, throughout this the way they they treat some of these guys you remember um, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about um, uh, when when Nebuchadnezzar I think it's in chapter 4 he has this uh, dream and he goes crazy right and you remember when Daniel comes in to interpret the dream for him And he's hesitant about interpreting the dream. What's Daniel say to him? It's God that reveals it. He he does say that God is the one who reveals these things. Um, Let's see. What verse is it?
1: Uh, No, verse,
0: uh, chapter 4. Yeah. Yeah, verse 19, the second part here. Uh, Listen to the way uh, Daniel feels about Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? And and so he says, uh, uh, Belshazzar, who is Daniel, says, answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning meaning to your adversaries. He's saying, you're my king. My king here, right? And so he has this attitude about the kingdom that he's in. And it seems to be in obedience to what Jeremiah was telling him to do. You know, when you get in there, you go and you live. You do the best you can for to, to make the place prosperous. You're going to be there a while. Buy buy property. Get involved. Uh, do things to help going on. And so we see here in the in the uh, kingdom of man, in the city of man, the way there's supposed to be something. Uh, we're, we're to react in it and to live in the city and the kingdom of man to advance it uh, the best we can and to make things look good and to support those uh, in authority and stuff. But I want you to notice something else. Uh, we find this back in chapter one. When, when they're given the food from the king's table, What do they, what do they say? No oh, thanks, right? Just, just, give, <coughs> us, just give us uh, water and, and vegetables. And why do they say they, that they shouldn't do this? They didn't want to eat squirrel and moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> the, they didn't they want, want to defile themselves. themselves. That's, that's a loose translation. <laughs> but, uh, they didn't want to defile themselves. They didn't want to defile themselves, right? They did not want to defile themselves. How would they be defiling themselves? Well, eating probably a lot of unclean foods. Yeah, unclean foods. They knew that they were part of another kingdom. Squirrel. Not just, not just the kingdom of man. They knew that they were part of another kingdom, and that is where their true allegiance lies. You know that uh, um, Nebuchadnezzar has his vision of this, you know, this great statue with all the different metals, and he's the head of gold and, and so on. And then he, he goes on, he builds this statue. For, um, for everybody to bow down and worship, and then the, the three Hebrew children, they won't do that, right? Why won't they do that? Aren't they supposed to be uh, the best citizens they can in the kingdom of man? Yes, but they realize that their true citizenship, while they're there in the kingdom of man for this temporary time, but their true citizenship is elsewhere, and they have a higher authority to be obedient to. Mm-hmm. They cannot bow down and worship these things. Later, Daniel, um, so when Cyrus is tricked into making the, the law about no one can pray except to him, um, and and what does Daniel do? Well, that's just a, that's just a law we have to ignore, right? Because my true citizenship, while well, I'm a citizen here, is my true citizenship is elsewhere, with the king that's higher, and I have to obey his lead and his. Uh, 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 His commands over me. And so you see this happening in Daniel. Now I want you to notice some of the things that that the kingdom of the world tries to do to the people of God. We find this all in chapter 1, 2. I get all this from uh, Sinclair Ferguson. He's a fairly reliable source on occasions. But um, uh, so it's, it's from his commentary on here. But I want you to notice some of the tactics that go on. Um, in order for the kingdom of man to try to gain the uh, uh, the commitment or, or, or uh, uh, God's people, and you see it in uh, see, it's the first thing he does is he, he they, they take these young men away from their homeland, away from their people. They're beginning to isolate them. Setting them off by themselves. Um, Separating them from the teachings and the truths that they've had elsewhere. This is one of the things that Satan wants to do. And with the kingdom of the world wants to do. Wants to separate us from uh, the truth. Um, I think part of our culture is when it offers so many alternatives uh, to the Lord and there's so much out there and it's beginning it, it, um, even when we first got here it was and 20 years ago it wasn't the case but now it is there's so much else going on on the Lord's day to begin to isolate the people and separating them from the fellowship and the communion with God's people and we find so many other things to do especially within the schools when, I first, when we first got here the Boys and girls club and the schools around here would not even schedule events for Wednesday nights. Mm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. That was because they knew that the churches were meeting, but all of a sudden it's become there's something every night of the week and on Sundays and on Sunday mornings, and it is just uh, pulling people away from the church. So many uh, other activities that would, would pull us away from God and His people, and this is part of the, the tactics. That the kingdom of the world will do is to begin to isolate the people. Um, part of the reason that the author of Hebrews in Hebrews ten twenty five, right? Don't don't uh, n- neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Some are in the habit of doing. Um, it is so important that we not be isolated from one another from the truths of God's word. This way, and so this is one of the first things. Uh, tactics of the world to try to get Christians to conform and people to conform to the kingdom of man. First of all, isolate them. Get them away from um, the, the truth and the teachings and the other people uh, who have taught them all their lives. We've got to get them into our uh, kingdom. Second, we find in verse 4, it's the uh, indoctrination. Um, he tells them um, and at the end of verse 4, he says... He has to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Begin to teach them the way the Babylonians think. The language and the literature. Uh, retain, uh, retrain their minds to think as Babylonians. So, the same as the Babylonians? Mm-hmm. so um, um, train them to, to think like us. Well... Um, I don't know when it, it became uh, the responsibility of the state to uh, educate children, but it is it's pretty much there. When I, when I first started school, I started in the first grade. Probably only a quarter of the class in my first grade class had gone to, to kindergarten. But now you've got pre-kindergarten, right? People are supposed to, and, and so they're beginning to teach you in pre-kindergarten. In kindergarten, they're beginning to learn things. And um, so the, the state is beginning to take them over more and more from, from the cradle uh, all the way to the grave. And the teaching and the training there is what, what they were trying to do here, is to teach them and to train them to think as Babylonians. But it's not just in the government school system. Uh, there's not a single one of us here when we go home tonight. I, I don't know I haven't been to everybody's house, but I bet you there's not a single one here. When We go home tonight that we don't see this rectangular box. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thin box anymore, but it, it's there for us, right? And we sit down and we turn it on and we're influenced by that greatly. I mean we can uh, we can watch sitcoms that when I was growing up, if we watched them, it would have been so offensive. No one would have dared to have admitted that they were watching that. And now those are the commons. You know? We've even got uh, animated shows, The Simpsons and things like that that I've never watched, but they certainly are, are being used to uh, uh, influence our thinking, our way of thinking. Who's the, who's the biggest moron of this, in The Simpsons? Father, the head of the household. Yeah, the head of the household is the biggest one. What's his name? Homer. Bart? Homer. No, Bart's the child. Homer. 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 Yeah, even the name Homer. Uh, he's such a Homer, you know. Well, it's beginning to re uh, work its way into our thinking, and um, the media uh, does that. Um, It does, it has a focus of re-educating us and training us to think a certain way. So we have to ask ourselves in this, uh, how are we being trained to think? Are we letting culture uh, dictate the way we think? Or are we uh, daily renewing our minds by um, having it... Uh, um, Cleansed with with God's word. Are we letting Scripture or TV be the greatest influence, uh, or any media being the greatest influence on us in the way that we, in the way that we think? Well, they're they're trying to indoctrinate them with uh, their education, teaching them their literature and the language of the Babylonians, so that they will start to think like Babylonians. Uh, this is the way that the the kingdom of the world does. It isolates us, gets us away from. Uh, the teaching of God's word the best it can and begins to indoctrinate us with the teaching of the world. Um, Thirdly, uh, one of the things that the world wants to do, um, we find it in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food uh, and wine from the king's table. Compromise. I don't know if there was any squirrel in there. (laughs) <laughs> but, but obviously, obviously, for Daniel and his friends, there was something about this food um, that they knew that if they had eaten, it would have defiled them. And um, so that that was what they were trying to do is get them to say, "Okay, you've had the, you've had these very strict diets all of your life, and uh, but let, let us show you the good way and the good stuff here." Um, And I'm just going to read to you a little bit here from uh, Dr. Ferguson. It says, The good life that Daniel was offered was intended by the king to wean him away from the hard life which God had called him. It would encourage him to focus on himself, on a life of enjoyment. Hmm. It would lead him to think of himself no longer as a servile uh, Israelite, but as a distinguished courtier. Um, there is an echo here of the wilderness temptations of the Lord. Mm-hmm. You just, uh, all you got to do is, you don't have to go through all this pain, just simply bow knee to me and you'll be fine. Right. Uh, no mention is made of Daniel being confronted with and uh, uh, apologetic for Babylonian theology or with the intellectual arguments against the Old Testament faith. The attack was far more subtle than that, and therefore potentially far more lethal somebody in nebuchadnezzar's palace knew enough about human heart to see that most men have their price and that good times comfort self-esteem and a position in society are usually a sufficient bid for a soul Mm -hmm. Um, that is uh and so the desire here i mean not only you're isolating them and indoctrinating them trying to get them to compromise and what might seem to be small matters. I can take a taste, you know. Um, but it might be small matters, but uh, Daniel and his friends were not willing to even go there. So anyway, this is the way the world works. Isolation, indoctrination, compromise. And uh, fourthly, we see it um, in, in verse 7 where they give them new names, right? <laughs> give them new names. You'll notice that the names of Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Meshiel, and Azariah, uh, you, you could almost make a song with those names, right? And they're rhyming. <laughs> what do they end with? Ya. Yah. Yah? And Daniel? L. L. What is El? The Lord. Uh, El is God. God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, Hebrew for God. And Yah. Yahweh. For Yahweh, right? So their names, each of these names have um, recognition of the God of Israel in it. El or Yah. What do they do in giving these new names? They're trying trying to remove that. And and giving them names of more the Babylonian gods would be recognition of Babylonian gods. Now, the second thing was this is um, who has the right to give names? Parents, right. So when you have a child born, uh, you get to say what their name's going to be. My granddaughter Hazel was born. I was asked before she was born. Uh, what name do you think would be good? And they told me they were thinking about Hazel. I said, Hazel sounds great to me. Because they're the ones who have the right to give those names, not grandparents. When, uh, when man, when, when God at, at creation first recognizes that man is alone and that's not a good thing, what does he do? Before he gives him a help name. Just before Huh? Before he puts him to sleep, brings the animals. animals. Brings all the animals before him. And what does man do? Name them. Gives them names. What's this showing? His authority over them. And then there's no helper uh, acceptable. God puts him to sleep, takes the rib, fashions the woman, brings her to him, and what happens then? He He gives her a name. He names her. Once again, showing the the creation, the the authority structure that God has put in place here within the roles in in a marriage relationship. But so so here the Babylonians are, um, by changing the names and giving them names that are no longer associated with the God of Israel, but with their gods, and by giving them new names, saying, we're the ones who have authority over you. What are they doing? with the kingdom of man over the kingdom of God saying that this is the true kingdom. But, as Christians, we know better, don't we? Uh, we are we citizens are in a different place. Um, I want us to look at a few places here. Uh, Philippians uh, 3.20 Somebody want to get that one? All right, and I'm going to look at First uh, Peter two. It's a good day. Okay, you got Philippians three twenty. Mm-hmm. Okay, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Are we citizens of Texas? Yeah. Are we citizens of the United States? Yes. Is everybody here legal? <laughs> <laughs> we are, but where's our true citizenship? Well, it's yeah. in heaven. Where's our true loyalty, our first loyalty to be? To Christ. And, and, and to Christ and to the kingdom of God. James was talking about that this morning, right? As, as we read in James chapter 4, uh, talking about you adulterous people, you have become friends of the world, and you've allowed this friendship of the world to take priority. You have become, um, you know, committed more to the world than to the kingdom of God. That's what we're not supposed to do. And it's rather weird to think of it this way, and you can also find this language in Hebrews chapter 11, but uh, in First Peter 2, 11 Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Which war against your soul. Huh? Both the author of Hebrews <coughs> and Peter use the same language here. We are what in this world? Aliens. We are strangers and aliens in this world. Our true citizenship is in in heaven. Our first loyalty is to be to the king of heaven and to that kingdom. And so with that in mind, especially when we see the way that the the kingdom of the world tries to entice us, we need to um, always stand firm and always submit to the authority of God in all things as we were instructed to do. In, uh, in James uh, this morning. So, anyway, I just want to go into a little more detail on the whole uh, two kingdoms idea that, we, that uh, James briefly touches in James chapter 4. All right, let me pray for us.